and let's pray over this word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We bless you. Lord, as we come before you in Jesus' name through his blood, we just take a moment to thank you for the power of your word. We love the Holy Spirit. We love praise and worship. We love the altar time, which we'll get into here in a little bit, praying for people. But, but Lord, we love your word, and we're so thankful. Where would we be today without your word in our lives to be an anchor of truth? And, Lord, we thank you for it. We honor the word of God. And as we get into this tonight, Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you would speak through me under an anointing, the word of the Lord, everything that needs to be said, and that your Holy Spirit even now would move upon every one of us. Everyone's going to be hearing this live or through the Internet, through recordings. Lord, your Holy Spirit move upon them mightily, that by your grace of your Spirit, that we would all get locked in and focused to give you our best ear, our full attention, that the Holy Spirit would touch our minds just as it says about Jesus with the disciples that he opened their minds to understand the word. Lord, let your Holy Spirit move upon our minds that we can understand things maybe we couldn't before. That your Holy Spirit will touch our hearts that will have tender hearts toward the word of God and the conviction of the spirit. And that the Holy Spirit move upon our eyes and ears and touch our eyes and ears that we can see and hear. Maybe what we didn't have the ability to before, but now we have eyes and ears of the spirit. And Lord, I pray that as you speak through me, let it go as living seed to truth, sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives that's made ready by the Spirit of God. And let those seeds of truth take root in all of us and uh, begin to be watered by the Spirit and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit, fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, I pray that your word tonight, there'll be the washing of the water of the word, Lord, that there'll be a bright shining light of truth that dispels the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy. And Lord, just as Paul said in Ephesians, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Let your word go out as a shining light, Lord, that will give us um, revelation knowledge. And Lord, I pray again that this word will dispel darkness. And let your word go out, Lord, like a hammer that's going to break down every stronghold, a sword that's going to pierce and get to where it needs to go, penetrate. And Lord, let the... Let your word go out and uh, by the wind of the Spirit of God be carried out among the nations everywhere it needs to go. It's going to produce what it needs to produce and everything will be accomplished and through this that your will to be done. For the Bible says your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We believe it to be so and we agree together tonight as the birds of the air try to steal the seed. We submit this unto you. And we resist the devil, he must flee. We bind up, we all agree together, we bind up anything of the enemy in any way right now that would try to hinder, distract, resist this in any way from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what's supposed to. We bind you in the name of Jesus. You will back off right now. Let your angels clear it out, Lord. Let there be breakthroughs. And we thank you for the power of what you're wanting to do through the word of God today. And we believe in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so if you get cold, remember to deal with that. It might be a little chilly for some. So anyway, we're going to get into this tonight. Um, I've been dealing with returning to our roots, is this is what the word of the Lord is for me right now. Let me tell you how important this is. You know, Jesus talked about the servant he left in charge that would give food at the appointed time. And it's so important that we as ministers, and whether you be a pastor or a teacher of some capacity, whatever age group that is, whatever, um, in, wherever you're doing this, it's very important that we're not just randomly telling Bible stories. You know, We've got to pray and hear from God. What is God saying? You know, his, his book that he gave us has 66 different books in it. There's, there's a, it's pretty big. You, know, you can't just drop it open and just stick your finger somewhere and just randomly talk about something and think that it's going to necessarily change lives. It might change a few lives. But when you hear from God and you're speaking what God's saying, there's power in that. And that's when people get fed and that's when lives get changed, okay? Is the, what would the Bible call the rhema word of God. So anyway, with that said, this is what I believe the rainbow word of God is right now, returning to our roots. And I opened it up talking about the Hebrew roots, and then I dealt with our Pentecostal roots, and last week I dealt with revival roots. But see, the Holy Spirit and the word go together, and that's, I'll deal with it probably more next week, but 
the phrase or the word here, Shavuot, means weeks. Shavu is a week, and the ode is just plural. This is what, you know, before there was a day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there was 1,500 years that Israel was celebrating the feast called Shavuot. And it's counted off seven weeks, uh, 49 days, and on the 50th day is the day of Pentecost, as we call it. But the feast is called Shavuot among the Hebrew culture, and this has been celebrated now for 3,500 years. And this is a powerful time that represents two things. First off, when God came down, and I'll talk more about this later, okay, but when God came down on Sinai, Moses went up and God gave his word to the covenant people, his word. So the power of the word of God, and then you have on the day of Pentecost, 1,500 years later, on that day, not the day before, not the day after, on the day of Pentecost, for 1,500 years, that day had been celebrated as a feast day. It's a day that, that you know, has become uh, known, connected with the first fruits and the harvest. On that day, the Holy Spirit fell, and that was like the birthday of the church. And so God gave us his spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so when we come into this Pentecost conference every year, the way we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost is we have a conference where we have speakers and they're very anointed and bring, what do they bring? The word of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit, you see. And so like last week, it was interesting because the Holy Spirit, I knew that the Holy Spirit wanted to give me a word. I didn't make notes last week, which I normally do. It's a little bit out of character, but I knew that the Holy Spirit just wanted me to tell some stories, revival stories, stories about paying the price in prayer. But see, when we move with the Holy Spirit and you give the word of the Lord, what is God actually saying? That the Holy Spirit is in that word and then he will back that word up. That's why the Bible says, and this is one example, but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit worked with the early church, confirming the word of God with signs that followed, see? So the, it was interesting in the altar time, the Holy Spirit moved so powerfully in people's lives in the way of going deeper as an intercessor. And then there was a powerful move of intercession during the altar time. But see, that was what the sermon ended up being about, which I went into it knowing that that would be part of it. But the Holy Spirit was in that word and it, he put the emphasis on that. So you see, I'm making a point here. You see how the word and the spirit work together perfectly but if i'd come in here just randomly going to tell some random story out of the bible uh, i could have picked anything i could have said well you know what about naaman who had leprosy and dipped seven times was healed and told just some random story it wouldn't be the same what is god saying to us you see we have to get the word of the lord and the Holy Spirit is in that. He anoints that. He backs it up. And he will come in and begin to move in that way, connected with what God is saying. And with that, that's also where you have true prophecies are so powerful. Because when you have a true prophetic word, and it really is true, then it is actually the word of God for you. You see? And the Holy Spirit will back that word up and empower that being fulfilled so i felt to share that and it, it's very important that we're in tune with the lord that means we've got to spend time with him and we've got to hear from him so i believe this is the word of the lord tonight i'm going to talk a little about about shavuot the uh, the aspect of sinai and the word of god being given and next week i'll deal a little bit more with like the day of pentecost but the first thing god gave connected to this feast that we call the Feast of Pentecost. The very first thing God gave was his word. This was the time that Moses came out of the cloud and he had the Ten Commandments. The entire word of God, the first five books of that time, the entire word of that time, the Torah, was given to Moses. It was written down. It was a powerful time. God came into a covenant with the nation of Israel. But let me show you something. I was reading this week also, I was reading out of the Old Testament. I was, it was interesting because, see, God expects that 
those of us that are reading the New Testament that we already have a foundation in the Old Testament and how the New Testament fulfills it. But I was reading in there how they said, how it was said through Moses rather, that God was speaking to Israel and said that you will reverence my sanctuary. You see, that should already be established. But anyway, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says this, Therefore, having this, these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. So there's something about cleansing ourselves. I remember how at Brownsville all these people were getting saved. And I remember those days, that's my roots, and that's when God really began to move powerfully in my life. And I began to have encounters with God through that great revival that touched the world. But during that time, I remember really paying attention to certain things. And I remember the messages that were given once people came down and gave their life to the Lord. And I'll never forget, one night, Richard Crisco got up and he was sharing with all these, you know, had to be a couple hundred believers there that just accepted the Lord as their Savior. And once all these, these people were there and they accepted the Lord as their Savior, Richard Crisco was talking to him and he said, just like a boyfriend, girlfriend in high school, you know, um, she breaks up with the boyfriend. What does she do? She throws his letterman jacket back in his face. Any ring he gave her, he gives, you know, she gives it back. And he said, you're breaking up with the devil. And he said, you better get all of the devil's stuff out of your life. He said, dump the alcohol down the drain, flush the drugs down the toilet, throw the, the tobacco products in the trash. He said, you need to go through your house. You have ungodly music and movies. You need to get them out of your house. What's he saying here? Clean. Look, let me read it right here. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. So there is this healthy fear of God that comes in that we were once one way, but God is now demanding that we will cleanse our way and we'll purify our lives and we're going to come into a new way of living, uh, perfecting holiness before him. You know, it was, and I know I've preached on this before, but it was understood at one time that the sanctuary was a holy place. I remember growing up in Pentecost and, and I remember it was viewed that way. You know, people weren't so flippant about the sanctuary. And down through the years, I've watched as certain things have changed, a lot of which was not for the better. And one of the things I've seen now, once the seeker-friendly movement began to come in around, I guess, the very, very late 90s, early 2000s, as that began to come in, I watched as things became more worldly gradually always with the excuse well we're trying to win the world but let me tell you you're never really going to actually win the world by becoming more and more worldly so there's a deception there but it became more and more entertainment based and just a social club which i say a lot but here's the thing as it became more and more entertainment based worship began to gradually morph that way and the attitude toward the sanctuary changed. And in many places, it's not even called a sanctuary anymore. It's called an auditorium. And that's actually probably more accurate of a description of what it actually is. As an auditorium is where plays are put on, concerts will take place, but a sanctuary is a holy place where God's presence dwells. See, I looked up this word, it's really interesting, but the tabernacle was replicated from something in heaven. God gave it to Moses, but it is actually, there is a tabernacle in heaven, and I know you guys know this, but it's called in Hebrew, they'll call the tabernacle the Mishkan. And there's a word that it comes from a root word, Shekhan, which means like dwelling. And it's interesting because there's even a, there's usually three consonants that make up a root word in it, and then it morphs as it changes the way that it is going to be used. But the shochen is he dwells. And that's the root of Mishkan. So it's understood, now understand what I'm saying here, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was where God dwelled. 
I mean, the word itself in Hebrew means the dwelling. And God said, I'm going to dwell among you, but I expect you to reverence my sanctuary. And understand that the dwelling of God is a holy place. It's not something where you're going to come into flippantly. You know, people stomp into the sanctuary of God and, and they, you know, they're gossiping about other people. They're, they're coming just covered in all this worldliness. And I think that we need to check ourselves because, and there's some people out there that go directly against what I'm saying and they'll say, well, you just need to allow whatever to go on. Well, that's not the way I feel about it. And God, I promise you, God's not going to be dwelling in those type of places where there's sin in the camp. He's not going to do it. Now, we have a heart to reach the lost. I want the lost to come and get saved. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about God's holy people that already are saved. We need to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God, and we need to reverence his sanctuary. Also, it was understood when I was growing up around Pentecost <clears throat> that we are to be a holy people. I remember times when, you know, people were careful to not dress like the world. They were careful to not become really worldly in the entertainment that was in their life. Um, that was kind of our Pentecostal roots and heritage was that we understood that we're a holy people. Yeah, I mean, you guys remember this. Some of you grew up in church long enough that you know what I'm talking about. Even amongst those that were not Pentecostal, it was still that way among other, other denominations, like Baptist denominations, etc. They still understood that God's people were not supposed to be like the people of the world. We dress different, we talk different, we're different. Somewhere along the lines, about the last 20 years, the lines have been blurred, and now it seems like just about anything goes. And I remember Brother John Davis told me this one time. He said, you know, he said, when I was growing up, he said, we as Christians just knew there were certain things that weren't right, and we just avoided it. But he said, now it seems like anything goes, and he's right. And I'm encouraging those in River of Life. God has, you hear me? I'm telling you, God cannot lie. God has a major move of God that we're going to be a part of. Something is going to shift. God's going to open up a revival. A harvest of souls is going to yield. Things we've been praying about is going to start happening. But God expects us, as he increases his glory in our midst, he expects us to reverence his sanctuary and to understand that we're a holy people, and he's going to expect us in his presence to live in the fear of God, perfecting holiness in our lives, and that we're going to be different than the people of this world. When people come in here, they're going to see something different. They're going to see a godly example. Let God begin to dig out of you whatever needs to go. You know, there's, there's aspects of preparation for revival. I talked about it last week. God will many times allow um, severe persecution and, and, and uh, you know, betrayals in people's, people's lives. He'll allow major satanic attack. All of this was to prepare. But another thing God will do in all of us if we're, if we're called to see a move of God is he will begin to go down into our lives and dig out what needs to be dug out of us, okay? It's one thing to be forgiven of something. It's another thing to let God go down in you and dig out the root of that that was there in the first place that causes that to keep happening in your life. Let him dig the root out. But he wants to dig out that stubborn pridefulness. He wants to dig out that, that rebellious streak. He wants to dig out that lustful root. He wants to dig out that bitter root. Areas of being controlling or angry or ungodly desires. Yield yourself to him and say, Lord, push into me. Force your hand. Pry out of me whatever needs to go. Don't hold back. Get it out of me. And let him do it. It's a great preparation for revival. I'm going somewhere with this tonight. When Israel left Egypt, and this is all going to come together toward the end of the sermon here, but when Israel left Egypt, in Psalm 105, verse 37, David wrote about it, and he said that God brought Israel forth with silver and gold. They plundered Egypt. Remember that? The wealth of the Egyptians was poured in their lap. Israel came out wealthy. Well, why? So that they could build him a dwelling place. 
when Moses later said, we need contributions to build God a dwelling place. So much contributions came that Moses had to stand back up later and say, we have enough, please stop giving now. <laughs> you know, he did. But the, God blessed them that the wealth of the Egyptians came to them so that they could build him a dwelling place. So the emphasis never was just on like some selfish thing. It was to advance God's purposes in the earth. And so God brought them out with silver and gold. And it says that there was not one feeble person among their tribes. You know as well as I do, as impoverished and as beaten as they were in Egypt as slaves, that there was many that were sick. There was no way that there wasn't. But when they came out after celebrating Passover, God had touched their bodies with health. And God had healed them up and blessed them financially. It reminds me of 3 John 2. I pray that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. They came out in prosperity and health to go into their future what God had for them. And it says in verse 38, Egypt was glad when they departed for the fear of God had come upon them. Okay, it was the fear of God had come upon Egypt. It had fallen upon them. And the Lord spread his cloud for a covering by day and a fire to give light by night over Israel. So Egypt was glad when they left. There was like a fear of God that had come upon Egypt because of all the plagues. And obviously the death of the firstborn that Egypt was rushing them out. Please take our silver and gold, get out of here. But then as Israel left Egypt, they had come out by the blood of the Lamb through being baptized in the Red Sea into Moses. And as they came out, the Bible says the Lord spread a cloud over them. There was a covering of the glory. And in that covering of the glory of the Lord, God protected them. They, they went in the wilderness. They had that manna. They, they were in an atmosphere of the glory that was over them, okay? In that atmosphere, they had supernatural provision that there was no way. Water came from a rock that watered a nation. Manna came. Quail came. Supernatural protection from their enemies. Even their clothes and sandals didn't wear out, which is a miracle. But God, it was like a, they were in that glory... It's like they were moving in a realm of a heavenly atmosphere around them that was conducive for the miraculous. And we know, I've taught on this so much, Pharaoh is a type of Satan. The taskmasters that were beating them were type, a type of uh, demons. And Egypt was a picture and type of the world. The Passover lamb speaks of salvation. The Red Sea baptism they left healthy and wealthy for the future and the glory was over them as a covering. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us under the blood of the lamb that we've cleansed the washing of the waters. We've been cleansed and the glory of God comes over us, okay? So when I'm going somewhere with us, keep following me, okay? It all makes sense here at the end. So when Israel now, they come out of Egypt, the armies have been drowned in the sea, Miriam danced before the Lord. They're moving forward as they go to the mountain Sinai. There had been a great preparation for this, but look at what Moses spoke to Israel. The Lord said to Moses in Exodus 19.10, go to the people and consecrate them today. Now I want you to notice, consecrate them. Uh, they've already been through the blood of the lamb and through water baptism, but God was saying consecrate them fresh today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and what does the bible say jesus is coming for a bride without spot or blemish pure garments right what israel had in the natural we have in the spiritual but i want you to see something here please don't miss this israel had been saved by the blood of the lamb and they had been water baptized into moses in the sea but yet, after all of that, God says, consecrate them fresh and have them wash their garments. Verse 11, and let them be ready 
for the third day for on the third day the Lord will come down on Sinai in the sight of all the people so what God was saying here was I brought him out by the blood and baptized him in the Moses but now I'm about to come down in their midst with my glory and he says I want you to really consecrate them for that get them ready is this making sense see that's what God's been doing in river of life and so I've had a, at least a couple times a year we do this publicly but even on, in people's own personal lives people have been pursuing the Lord but we have times we just come out of this where we'll pray and fast for you know a couple weeks and and at the end of it what deeply consecrating why because we're believing God to go deeper and God has been increasing his glory but out after you've accepted the Lord after you've been water baptized initially and all that salvation experience that you've had in the past there's still where God is saying consecrate yourself because I'm going to increase my glory are y'all seeing this there's a washing of the garments many scriptures actually about that in the Bible in the New Testament so what happened here at Sinai I don't want to get too deep with this because the sermon isn't about this but let me just say it in passing but God the Father married himself to the nation of Israel like a wife okay the glory of God was like a canopy it was a, like a chopa the word of God was like the ketubah. It was a marriage license, an agreement, and a covenant was entered into. Moses was officiating this, but Moses had the blood there, and he sprinkled it upon the people, upon the leaders. The people accepted the covenant, and God married himself to that nation. And without getting too deep into that, that's why even though Israel has been extremely unfaithful to God through the years, God is still so faithful that this is how faithful God is that when it's all said and done Jesus is going to be sitting in Jerusalem reigning over the earth for a thousand years God's still going to be faithful to that land and he's going to supernaturally preserve a third of the Jews that they'll be alive when Jesus comes and the Bible says that they will look on him whom they pierce and they'll mourn because they're going to realize he really is the Messiah and they had rejected him all these years but God is so faithful to his end of the covenant that he's going to make sure a third are supernaturally protected and that Jesus is going to come back to that land. So God entered into like a marriage. The father married himself to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, like a wife to him, if you will, it was through the womb of that nation that the word of God had gone to the ends of the earth. The Messiah was actually born in Jerusalem which of course we know Jesus has blessed the entire world is this making sense but it's out of the the relationship that covenant relationship that what we have today came again now let me shift over to another I'm gonna bring it all together at the end the warning now about mixture so God marries himself to Israel and God gives Israel the tabernacle, which later became the temple. He's dwelling in the midst of Israel. He's given Israel his word. And he's blessed Israel so much. But I want you to see something. In 2 Kings 23, 4, Israel had so backslid down through the years. I mean, it split after Solomon, okay? For those that don't know the Bible, just bear with me. But it split to where there were the ten northern tribes. But the ten northern tribes, their capital became Samaria. And they never had a good king once since Solomon. Not that Solomon was a great king. But they never had a good king. They had one wicked king after the next. And eventually, God had to allow those ten northern tribes to be defeated by Assyria and go into captivity the southern tribe Judah and Benjamin they stayed faithful to a degree and it was like up and down back and forth they would have a good king like Hezekiah there'd be a revival and then they'd backslide and go right back into sin up and down back and forth unfaithful And later, they also went into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. 
because of their unfaithfulness. But I want you to see something. God told Israel to be a holy people, and he said that I'm going to put my dwelling among you in the Mishkan, my dwelling. And I expect you to be a holy people, cleanse your way, and I expect that you're going to reverence my sanctuary. And here's how Israel responded to that. Now, down through the years, it got worse and worse and worse. But look at this. In 2 Kings 23, verse 4, the king commanded, this was Josiah, who actually began to reign at the age of eight years old, if you can imagine that. And Josiah, those southern, the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, that bloodline of those that reigned was descendants of David, okay? Josiah emerges now and as he gets a little bit older the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priest of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord everybody say out of the temple okay does everybody understand where this is coming out of all the vessels that were made for Baal and for Asherah for all the host of heaven and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel is everybody seeing how unfaithful that was right there and see you wonder why because see I've read all this you wonder why I have a concern when I see a lot of worldliness and sin and a lot of pagan stuff occult stuff even that's creeping into church sanctuaries isn't it true that God's people have had a history of backsliding down through the ages it was in the nation of Israel and it's been in the church for the last 2,000 years but Josiah had to come in and remove all the images out of the temple now let me just say you know God has poured out his spirit He's done something so awesome in our lives here in River of Life. You know, we've had such a move of God. We, we've experienced His glory. Most people in the sound of my voice in River of Life, either God has healed you or He's delivered you or both. You have experienced His presence, His power, and His love. And let me just say to you, don't forget about the Lord in the days to come. The world is going to get more wicked and we know from scripture that there's going to be a falling away we know that there's going to be like a Laodicean lukewarm backslid worldly even apostate church out there don't forget about the word of God don't forget the precious Holy Spirit and don't allow an unholy mixture in your life and I won't allow it here in the church, and I know you stand with me with that, but don't allow mixture to come in. It will bring judgment. I think about the price. You know, I didn't get into it too much last week or the week before. I really should have, but I, I think about the price as God poured out his spirit in the days of Azusa. The early church father, you guys remember when Big John Hall was here, right? You remember that? Well, I don't know how old that man is I reverence and honor him I don't say it's in disrespect but I mean he's got to be pushing what like 80 90 years old or something how in the world is that man still going strong and singing but man he's he's so anointed when he came in here and uh, I just I love him so much but as he was with us you know he was the Holy Spirit began to move upon him here and he began to talk about revival talk about his dad you know his dad remembers those early days of Pentecost and was part of the early fathers that actually formed these, you know, early denominations that came out of Pentecost, like Assemblies and Church of God, etc. But he was talking about those days. And, you know, back then, it was persecuted. Not that it's not now, but it really was persecuted. I mean, people lost jobs. People were seen a, a certain way that were Pentecostal. Yet, you know, the Holy Spirit was being poured out, just as you read about in Acts chapter 2. And they paid a price to be so faithful in hosting God's presence and, and carrying the power. And you know what? Today, Pentecost, I'm going to say this real quick, out of Azusa Street Revival, it started with Parham in, in Topeka, Kansas, but out of the Azusa Street Revival, 
when people got baptized in the Holy Spirit there, many times they would speak in a dialect that sounded like a certain part of the world. You know, it may sound Oriental, it may sound African or something. And they took that as a sign that they were called to be a missionary to that part of the world. And so through that phenomenon, Pentecost spread to the nations of the earth. And as you know, this has been, in, a, in essence, Pentecost since Azusa Street has been the longest-running longest revival that has gone to the ends of the earth, that to this day you can go to the continent of Africa and there are spirit-filled, tongue-talking, powerful Pentecostals there in Africa. All over the world you'll find that there's a remnant out there that are filled with the Spirit and, you know, speaking in tongues of the power of God in their life. But they paid such a dear price to have that. And we need to remember that and, and keep uh, the precious things. You know, I think about the Holy Spirit and how now, you know, people are getting so sophisticated, I guess. They think that they can do it better than the Holy Spirit. And, and so they don't want him involved in their church. And if somebody uh, gets touched somehow miraculously in that environment by the Holy Spirit, um, they want to send them to a back room because they're ashamed of it. You see, don't forget about the Word of God and don't forget about the Holy Spirit, okay, the power of God. And as we go into this time of Pentecost, I'm not ashamed of the Word of God. You know, there's a movement now that's been going on for some time. There's, I've said this a lot, but there's, there's a, a, a weird hybrid form of Christianity that's emerging. And I believe it's connected to end-time prophecy because it's very strange. They, they do not adhere to that you have to be born again. It's just a social thing. They do not believe that you have to repent to your sin. There's a lot of worldliness. And they do not hold to the Bible as being the infallible word of God. There's a lot of other philosophies and things that are in there, you see. A lot of worldliness. It's weird. And let me just tell you, in these latter days, don't forsake the Word of God. People will try to come at the, at the Word of God, and those that really believe the Word and stand with it, they're going to try to make it sound like it's old-fashioned, it's outdated, and that you're a fool for believing in it. Don't forget the Word of God. Don't forsake the Word of God. I've drilled it in young people. You better go back to the Word of God for absolute truth because you can go up and down this uh, area in here and ask 100 people their opinion about something and you're probably going to get at least 70, 75 different opinions. We all got opinions. The, everybody's opinion doesn't matter except God's opinion at the end of the day. And God already gave us His opinion. It's in His book that He gave us. And we better go back to the Bible as being the absolute source of truth about what is right with God and what's not. Amen? Don't forsake the Word of God in these latter days. And don't forsake the Holy Spirit. You know, the whole thing about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, listen, Jesus did not even start His ministry until the Holy Spirit had clothed them in power. And He told the early church, He said, Guys, look, you've been with me. If I could paraphrase this in the last part of Luke 24, 49, Acts 1, 8, if I can paraphrase it, Jesus was saying, you've been with me all this time, but I'm telling you, don't just jump up and go start doing stuff. Wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Then, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, then you'll be my witness. And so Jesus was telling them to wait. And let me tell you, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so the church birthed out of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. The church birthed in that. That was, the, that was how the church of God came forth. And every major advancement that has taken place down through these 2,000 years has been at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's what we call revival history. Every advancement, every bit of restoration, every great harvest of souls that we've seen, what has always been the common denominator? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Somebody got a hold of God and God poured out His Spirit in response. So I say it again, don't forsake the Holy Spirit. 
Don't get away from the power of God. Don't let some backslidden person or some Jezebel or whatever steal revival from you, steal tongues from you. Some dead, dry, religious person that, you know, doesn't have any power of God in their life going to get you to get away from the power of Pentecost. You better be careful who you're listening to. Is not everybody has a clue what they're talking about. I'm going to close and read some scriptures here, but let me say it again. Don't forget the Word of God, and don't forget the Holy Spirit. That's what this Feast of Pentecost is all about. God has given us as His covenant people His Word and His Spirit. And so what God is doing, just like at Sinai, the father married himself to the nation of Israel. And he's going to be faithful to his end of the covenant. In the same way, when Jesus came into the earth and died on the cross, the gospel, what God originally told Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. It was never intended to be just in one nation alone. And that was fulfilled in, in its fullest sense, as Jesus was born in the earth and gave his life on the cross, raised from the dead, that the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. Many unbelieving Jews down through the last 2,000 years have been broken off branches, dead Judaism, but yet the Gentiles have been engrafted into that tree, that family tree of God. In Jesus, just as the Father married himself to the nation of Israel, Jesus has a bride, the church. And let me say this, though. There's something about the body and the bride. The body seems to be something that has a very earthly connotation. Remember how God formed Adam out of the dirt, you know, scooping it up, and like you would kind of fashion maybe some kind of a clay, and he formed Adam and in the dirt and then like a resuscitation type of thing God breathed down in Adam and pushed down into him a, a spirit and soul and Adam stood up a living being but there's something about the body of Christ that has like an earthly connotation there's a lot of people they go to church there's a lot of religious people out there there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians but here's the warning, and I'm going to close with this here in just a moment. Here's the warning. Religion will not save you. There's people out there that can quote scripture that will still go to hell when they die. There's people out there that go to church all the time. They do a lot of religious things. They're very religious people. They're pious people. But unless you're born of God and you're in a blood covenant, your sins are not pardoned. You're just religious. You can know all about Jesus and never actually know him. You see, that's the danger. Like I said again, the body has an earthly connotation because there's a lot of people that are religious and that are associated with Christianity in one form or another. But the bride has a very heavenly sound to it, doesn't it? See, within the body, there's a remnant bride. And that right there is that covenant people, those that really know the Lord, and that are that bride of Christ, okay? And so let me read some scriptures. <clears throat> Remember that Jesus is coming, but he's coming for a bride that has made herself ready. So Isaiah 54, verse 5, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, for the God of the whole earth he is called. So you see there a reference to the husband. Ephesians 5.25, we're familiar with it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
And then Paul says this, though, in verse 32. If you skip down, he says, this mystery is profound here, but I'm referring to Christ and the church, you see. Isaiah 62, 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall God rejoice over you. Revelation 21, 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Revelation 21, 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. 2 Corinthians 11:2. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. So you see this reference here that Jesus has a bride. I don't want to just know about the Lord. I want to know him. And when I accepted the Lord back in 95, you know, God had to really purify my life. I'd come out of a lot of sin. And it took years for God to really purge my life and purify me. But as he did, he's faithful to do so, isn't he? But see, we've got to, what did I read at the very beginning? That we having these precious promises, we cleanse ourselves from all defilement of spirit or flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There is an aspect where we are repenting and we're seeking the Lord. Dig out of me what needs to be dug out of me. Purify me. Sanctify me. I want to be a bride without spot or blemish. See, that's what the Lord's coming for. There's going to be a lot of people that are not ready, unfortunately, when he comes. He's coming as a thief in the night. In Hebrews 10.22, I love this scripture. It says, let us draw near with a sincere heart full of assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That's, if you know the word of God, there was a sprinkling of the blood. And so as the blood was sprinkled, it purified. And so he's saying here that you're being sprinkled by the blood of Jesus and you're being purified. But then he said, look at this, and our bodies washed with pure water. There's something so powerful about water immersion. You know, and every couple times a year, we have that season of a couple weeks of fasting. We did that before the, the spring feast. And we come together and, and we have a time of deeply consecrating our lives. Do you see the pattern? I'm reading this about Sinai. Israel came and God said, consecrate yourself because I'm about to come. There's something about really consecrating our lives with the anticipation of the Lord increasing his glory and us going deeper in him. And I know that we go from glory to glory. And I know that we're all in this process. That's why every year I still do this corporately a couple times a year, but people on their own are seeking God. But listen, during those times, really fast and pray. God, sanctify me, purify me, dig out of me what needs to go, change what needs to change. But we come together at the end of the fast. We take communion in a special way. My wife and I anoint people and really pray over you in a special way. And we have water immersion for those that want to come. But as you guys can testify, the glory of the Lord is so thick in those times, including in that water. I hear that a lot as we're immersing people. Everybody's kind of like, whoa, because <laughs> the glory is awesome. But what's God doing? He's sanctifying, he's purifying us, taking us deeper. I guess what I'm trying to say in all this is that we haven't just arrived, you know, that we're going deeper. We go from glory to glory. We're going deeper in Christ. I think about the Apostle Paul said, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God. He said, I haven't attained it, but I press toward it. There's, there's always more. But we've got to be hungry for more. I remember Zach and I had a conversation years ago, and he talked about how a lot of times you'll get to a certain point in different ministries, and I agree with that. It's true. You get to some kind of a certain point, and you, don't, you can't go any further with them. But let me tell you, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be on a journey going from glory to glory. I want to learn stuff in 2020 I didn't know last year. I want God to teach me things this year. I want to, I want to go deeper in Christ this year. I want my prayer life to deepen. I want to see an increase the anointing. I want to see the glory of God increase. It's a journey that we're supposed to be on. You're not supposed to get to a place where you spiritually die out and settle into something 
and you live there and camp out in that. There's always more. But if you're not careful, you'll get a religious spirit and die right there in a certain level in a certain place. And that's what many do. And then God has to send revival and it begins to stir all that up and, and people will begin to go after God for a time. Revelation 19, 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And I think about Matthew 25, which we're all familiar with, the parable of the ten virgins. All ten were virgins. They weren't five harlots, five virgins, but only half of them were ready when the Lord came. That's a scary thought, and I wonder if that's not prophetic. I believe if the Lord was to come right now, there would not be 50% ready right now. I don't believe that at all, especially the condition of the church. But I do believe as revival comes, it's going to get the numbers up to where more will be ready. But it's, again, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to convict and draw and purify and get people ready. So the message of Shavuot is this. We're called to be the bride of Christ. Let's reverence his sanctuary. Let's purify our lives out of a holy, fearful reverence of God. Just like Israel, we've been saved by the blood and we've been water immersed and all that. But let's really consecrate ourselves and go deeper than we've ever been. Let's see God's glory increase. And that's, is that, I close with this, get ready to shut things down, is the prophecies. You know, I've had prophecy after prophecy. God has shown me that his glory is going to get so thick here, it's going to be a lot more healings and miracles happen. And I believe that's about to happen. And just like Israel, though, they had to consecrate themselves and wash their garments and get purified for the Lord to really come down with his glory. So, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We bless you. And, Lord, I just pray that you would seal this in every heart and every life. Lord, take us deeper in you. Convict us. Draw us into you. Sanctify our lives. Help us to reverence your sanctuary and have a fearful reverence of God in our own lives that we will purify our lives, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Let me know when everything, the recordings are all off and everything. Is that, is it done?